Telus International Studios, where customer experience meets digital transformation. Welcome to Telus International Studios, the podcast series about world-class customer experience, digital technologies, and how the two increasingly intersect. I'm Patrick Hawhey, and throughout this series, I have been meeting the people on the front lines of CX and technology. If you have been enjoying these interviews, please do click follow or subscribe and leave a rating or a review. It really helps more people just like you to discover this series. My guest on this episode is Ingrid Olsen, Director of Customer Experience at Melio Payments, a fintech company designed to give small businesses a way to digitally manage their B2B payments and receivables. Ingrid describes customer experience as being part of her DNA, as she has worked in this role in some fascinating companies throughout her career, Airbnb and OfferUp, to name just two. She tells me why she loves this industry so much, but we also speak about the evolution of payments platforms and the technologies behind them, how to communicate effectively with customers, particularly during the challenges of COVID-19, hiring great team members and lots, lots more. But Ingrid started by describing what Melio does and why the company has decided to focus specifically on small businesses. At Melio, we provide a service for small business uh, to pay their vendors in any way they see fit. So typically with a lot of vendors, they will accept a check only or they'll accept ACH. Many cases, vendors still want live checks. And I don't know about you, but I don't remember the last time I wrote a check. And, you know, checks get lost in the mail. People forget about checks. Um, it's pretty problematic. Uh, but it's a very old school way of paying your vendors as a small business. Uh, but we allow you to pay through any means you see fit. So you can do a direct ACH transfer. Uh, you can you can have them cut a check that's a live check, even though you do an ACH transfer. Um, you can use your debit card. You can use your credit card. And I think the credit card is really our point of difference because that allows you as a small business, particularly during COVID, you were able to float yourself cash, so it wasn't coming out of your, out of your uh, savings account or checking account directly. You're able to then budget a little bit more, and that's really helped small businesses stay in business over the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. It's been particularly tough, and I was definitely going to talk, come to that in in a, in a few moments' time. Um, do you do you operate within um, North America only, or do you operate globally? Uh, we're currently in North America only. We uh, we are rapidly expanding, um, but we have a lot of market share still to gain in the U.S. Um, in the U.S., are small businesses, um, SMEs, small and medium enterprises, the, pretty much the lifeblood of the economy as they are in Ireland, for example? Um, absolutely. Uh, and I see, I see that more and more, and particularly I think it's come it's come to light during the pandemic where people really focused on helping small businesses in particular um, stay afloat. And so a lot of these larger businesses that had a lot of funding and could ride out the storm, you know, as you know, a lot of places went under during during the pandemic. And I think keeping these places as business, which is our, are the lifeblood of our economy in a lot of ways and add to like the culture aspect and, you know, your neighborhood in general, like, to lose that and just go to an all chain sort of yeah. uh, situation in a city or a town is 
is really detrimental. So there's such a big push in buying local and staying local with a lot of different um, advertisements and things in general in the U.S. that I think that focus really became to the forefront and it continues to this day. So that is something because because again um, I'm in Ireland and it's you know for a lot of the last year we were sort of had to stay within five ten or twenty kilometers of where we live, which opens your eyes to the businesses that are on your doorstep and prevents you from going to you know the big chains that might be over twenty kilometers away. Has it been a similar experience in the states? Um, absolutely. I think it obviously depends on on the area you're in and the U.S. being such a large economy, but at the same time, like. I made a concerted effort to really uh, help my local businesses around my area because it would be really sad to see many of them go under. These small businesses, um, I you know, I, I suppose I'm I'm the, the owner of a small business myself, and I I, I kind of understand that <clears throat> by the time you have actually done the business doing the accounting is uh, <laughs> it's not something you want to do but obviously it's something you have to do but it's certainly not something you always have time to do so how does Medio actually um, cut down the time that a business owner will spend on accounts allowing them to spend more time with their customers for example um, sure well we're if you look at our platform our platform is very straightforward it's very easy to use it's very intuitive um, we also tie into what a lot of small business owners use which is um, Intuit QuickBooks. Um, so a lot of our accountants and our small businesses use that already as a tool. And we're embedded into several QuickBooks, uh, QuickBooks um, products that allow businesses to pay directly and not leave that platform. Um, but we make it very, very easy for you to see where money is going, what's being processed, what's been delivered, um, even what's lost. And so it allows you as a small business owner and Many small business owners may be great at the customer service part or at producing great products and aren't really the best bookkeepers necessarily. Um, I myself being one of those types of people, uh, it just allows it allows you to to deal with the administrative part, which is the very unsexy part of small business and get on with your day and get the things you need to keep yourself afloat. You mentioned QuickBooks there and, you know, there's there's a number of kind of new, new but maybe newly evolved accounting platforms and different parts of software that um, business owners can now use to, to make the process far quicker and more transparent than maybe it was years ago. Has this been a real trend in recent years, this rapid development of technology to, to um, help business owners do their books, do their accounts, perhaps aided with AI and ML and various other uh, digital, uh, digital technologies? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think the days of like old school bookkeeping are waning. Uh, and because you have a lot of businesses that are, you're trying to keep your costs low, when you may not have the ability to hire some giant accounting team to handle all those things, nor would you really need it, um, be able to do this on your own. I think it really sets you apart. And so you'll see there are a lot of competing companies now out there that are offering different different flavors of like self bookkeeping. Um, and not that there aren't bookkeepers and accountants um, still viable. They actually use us as well and funnel their clients through us. Um, but I do, th- I do see this tendency to make things much simpler and faster and straightforward um, when it comes to money movement. And also just knowing that, that any sort of movement of money is an emotional component as well. Like, 
you know, it actually may make or break you in some cases during COVID, like you might have to keep, you know, the lights on. And if that payment doesn't go through, that actually might prevent you from staying in business. I was looking at your um, your CV, Ingrid, and it's really interesting that some of the companies that you worked for, and this certainly isn't your first platform, Airbnb, for example, being another platform, um, another fascinating company that you, you, you've worked for. So um, maybe you could, you could just tell us a little bit about your, your career to date and, and if it is kind of mainly sort of focused on the customer experience, uh, customer operations side of things. Um, certainly. Well, I think customer services is my DNA. Uh, it's something that I've had 20 plus years of experience in. Uh, I keep going back to this this service industry simply because it just it resonates with me. Um, and I think more oftentimes uh, for me, getting customer getting companies to think of customer support or experience as a brand defining part of the company and impactful rather than a cost center has really been where my focus has been. Too often, uh, companies consider this just a cost center, or or employees consider this just to be a get your foot in the door sort of situation. And I would say I'm living proof that you can actually have a pretty dynamite career in customer support. And there's all sorts of aspects within this realm that will build out a fantastic career for for anyone looking to really help customers. Um, I think anyone who joins customer support support org and has a lengthy career there basically is hired hardwired um for service like it's it's part of our dna what 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 do you mean by that hardwired wired for service um i think like when i look back at my best employees and the people that are the most engaged whether that's from a manager from a leadership level or on a rep level um it's somebody who just wants to help. Like <laughs> we're just, we're just ready to take on some of the craziest situations. And I know like with Airbnb and with Apple, like there have been some really like crazy situations. Uh, and we're just going to figure it out and make things right and bring things back to like a normal state and just help people. So it's something that we like, we accept as a challenge. Like for myself, I always enjoyed some of the most the most stressful customer situations were the most satisfying because I was able to untangle this and actually make it into make it whole and make that customer feel whole, um, so that when they walked out the door or when when they um, left our part of the organization, they felt truly supported and really identified with us as a brand. Yeah, that's really interesting and. <clears throat> Your your customers to today, like who who are you dealing with on a on a regular basis? Are are they those small business owners that Medio serves? Um, absolutely. Uh, we have quite a few. I would say called mom and pop businesses. So uh, people that are maybe they're the sole owner of a company. Maybe they work for a larger distributor, but they've got like a piece of the pie. Um, mainly small business. As we start to grow businesses and obviously some small businesses become medium-sized businesses and some become larger. Uh, I think we'll evolve to continue to support those people like right where they right where they land in the process. Um, but many of us, many of the companies that we support are very family owned, um, have been around for a while. And then we have a lot of emerging businesses. I mean, um, a lot of companies switched over to a process like ours during COVID simply because they just needed to survive. 
So when it comes to dealing with and communicating and helping your customers, um, your current customers, you know, how do small business owners, the ones you just described, how do they like to be communicated with? And does that differ from how an Airbnb customer or an Apple customer wants to be communicated with? Um, You know, I think it really depends on where they are in their journey with us. So our goal, and as we scale out customer support, uh, particularly at Milio, is creating that very frictionless educational experience. So you as a new customer with us should be able to come in, find out the information you need so you can get on with your day. Like, I don't want to waste any more of your time as a business owner. I want to make this very frictionless, um, very easy to use um, so you can move on with your day. Where we really are high touch is in that middle of that payments processing space. So from the moment you schedule a payment to the moment it's delivered, like that's where we really want to be with you, whether we need to hold your hand through the process, whether you need a call, whether you want to reach us on chat, like that's our moment of truth. Um, And the same was with Airbnb. Like we had, we had sort of a system that was like in trip and out of trip. So within 24 hours of a reservation, like to the end of the reservation, 24 hours after that middle area was that sweet spot of where anything is really going to go wrong. It's going to go wrong right there. Um, So we want to be there to, to have, tools and and creative solutions in place and be able to pivot really quickly in that moment of truth. And so the same thing lies within Melio. Like whenever there's people's money being moved around, like it's emotional component that we need to respond to as fast as we possibly can. That's actually a very good point. The money, money does bring bring a, 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 a layer of emotion, let's say, that, <laughs> that <Yes>. other things <laughs> don't. <laughs> so, you know, it sounds what you described there, it, it takes a lot of um, EQ, emotional intelligence, to sort of feel uh, feel where the sensitive spots are, to understand um, how to change your tone, to uh, how to sort of, you know, step in or, 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 or keep stepping back, if, if as the case may be. Um, as you grow your team, and I know you're scaling rapidly, which which we'll come to in a moment. How do you go about trying to find people who are good at that? Trying to find the people who are hardwired for service like you, as you described? Uh, I really think it's a it's it's definitely EQ from that standpoint. Um, it's a flexibility in how we run our day-to-day. So many times in interview process, I'm asked like, what's, what would my day-to-day be like? And it honestly changes. Like, um, sometimes over the course of an hour, something will happen and we need to all pivot. And so having that level of flexibility, and I think not only with in fintech and with money movement, um, because there is some element of this that's out of our control, that's, that's worked with our partners in banking and other, you know, other systems and tools that can go down. Um, but I also think that it's, it's all about, um, just in startup life of knowing that the ground is always going to be moving under your feet and being okay with that, that uncertainty. Um, Sometimes people start off in a role um, within a startup or within a emerging company and can easily pivot and learn and love that, what I call control chaos. And this is what Mm. I really love. Um, Some people get burned out by it, frankly, like it's not, it's not for everyone. So you may get somebody who's amazing at customer support and really is there, wants to be there for the long haul. And it's just not the right fit. 
Um, and sometimes you just need to be honest with yourself of whether you can keep pivoting because we'll never be out of that. We're never going to hit a steady state. Um, we're always going to be iterating and adjusting to the needs of business. And even post pandemic, like we're actually don't know what we're going to get ourselves into. Frankly, we haven't been yeah. around. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, you're not the only ones. I don't think anybody knows what to expect. The one thing we've learned the last year is not to think you can assume or predict anything. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> but it's funny as you as you as you speak there, it's it it rings very true. And and a former colleague of yours in Airbnb, Ashton Hassel, um, who's a great friend to the Telus International family and Voxrow before it, um, I, I watched a, a talk that Ashton gave a few years ago, and one line resonated with me. And she's saying that the one thing she's learned to do is to make peace with her to do list because it never goes away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that is that is so true. Um, yeah, day to day, I. I don't quite know what I'm getting myself into, but if you like that kind of world, like I think it's perfect. Yeah, and it's probably why it's a bit of a clever play for um, some companies when they go to um, try to recruit some talent is that they're very upfront about the crazy nature of the job, the chaos of the job, because they want to be very clear about that um, in order to attract people who are okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think being transparent um, in the interview process is really key um, because I don't want to set anyone up for failure because they weren't quite sure what they were getting themselves into and be perfectly honest about what we're able to measure right now, even as a company, like how our goals may change and pivot, um, how we've been able to pivot as a company and where we, we may go in the future. I mean, a lot of it's a big unknown um, and you have to be okay with that in the long haul. I know your user base has grown by something like 2000% in the last year or so. So does that mean that that you as director of customer experience are currently ramping up your team um, quite quickly? Uh, very quickly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I went from I went from about 11 people to now I'm kind of bordering on 50. Wow. Um, in what space of time? In seven months. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, and that's just the start. On top of that, now we're now we're actually going to take a little bit of a breather and sort of reassess where we're at. So as we've looked at our systems and tools and the types of talent we need and the types of like supporting services we need, like training and quality assurance and those types of things that we haven't quite built out yet. Now we're taking an assessment to see where we can take a look at the educational piece for our customers. So we are in the business of reacting um, on, on all these issues coming up. And now we have to take more of a proactive stance on where we can bring out more education to customers proactively, um, where we can like build in a level of self-service that's more efficient for us um, and where we can we can get people what they need quicker so they can get on with their day. Yeah. So in that space of time, seven months, like really five uh, Xing your team, what, what, are, are, what has been the main challenge or challenges? And maybe if somebody's listening, um, what advice would you give them if they are f- about to face into a similar type of um, growth, growth period? Uh, certainly, I would say the biggest challenge is not having everything together in order to scale to that level. So not having a lot of guidelines in place. Um, deciding uh, like right now I'm going to be doing an offsite with my leadership team about creating some more framework around the CX organization 
So even things like creating, I don't want to call them policy, I call them more like guidelines for employees um, so that there's a little level set of expectations um, for employees, even things like teasing out what our hours look like. Um, I don't think we're set to scale based on the hours of support we have currently. So we're going to take that apart and rework it. Um, so I think just knowing that it's not going to be perfect as you bring people on, which is another conversation I like to have with new employees. And I would say the biggest piece of advice I can get everyone is don't worry that things aren't perfect. Um, be okay with like it, just a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Rather than getting something and, and having things all flushed out and you're able to like promatically like roll out a huge change, be okay with like the small little incremental changes that are going to get you to that eventual change because that's how you'll, you're able to manage through that type of rapid growth. Otherwise, you won't be able to scale effectively fast enough. Um, if I waited until everything was perfectly done, I'd still have 11 people and I wouldn't be able to handle my user base. Yeah, yeah. So it seems to be yeah having having that sort of level of hands off is the wrong word, but just being okay with things not being perfect, as you said, it it really sums it up really well. And do you think though that this is something that your twenty plus years of experience in this world has taught you? Has this? Or were, were you were you born with this approach, or did, does it come with time? Um, it definitely comes with time. Um, I'm a perfectionist by nature. So for me to just like, I always, I tell this to a lot of people at work is just like, it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be better. But those are words that have like taken me a while to get used to. Yeah. So just knowing that I wasn't able to move fast enough um, and I couldn't get what I needed from either myself or my team because I was waiting for this perfectionist state to land um, has taught me that that doesn't matter. And that the, the small things that we tend to fixate over, things like even the way we write our content, customers actually don't care. As long as I got the information and it's in front of them and it's correct, if I change the wording and I wordsmith this too much, I'm just wasting time. Let's just get the information out there. We can tweak it later. Uh, I, I, I learned that process and I'm much faster on my feet than I was, but it took me a while to get there. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and you mentioned that that over that those twenty years of of experience in in the customer experience industry and and function, um, that part of your mission has been to kind of show um show the companies that it's not just a, a cost center; it's actually something that is good for the brand if you get it right, the brand of the company. How have you gone about doing that? Because I'm sure there's plenty of people listening in that role right now who are trying really hard to get the the C suite or to get the rest of the C suite to realize that and to invest more. Um, as a result. So any tips for them? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think first of all, it's, it's identifying what, like, why do we exist is like the big, is the big question. And I, one of my managers always posed this question and I thought it was a great one because why are we here? Are we here to just handle the issues when things go wrong? Are we here to educate? Like what, what does support mean for your organization and knowing that, how can we be the brand defining moment for the organization? We know more than almost everybody in the company about the products and the issues with the products, with the products. 
Um, but we also, we, we are the front lines to the customer. So they're not talking to the engineers. They're not talking to the product owners. They're actually talking to us. So we actually have a huge weight on our shoulders in order to really exemplify us as a brand for our company, but also to shepherd people through issues that maybe they didn't think that they, that were going to occur in this organization. So I think first of all, my question was always to like the C-suite side of things is like, what do we want to be known for? Like, why do we exist as a part of the organization and how we, how can we make a direct impact to the mission and vision of the company? And, you know, over those the course of your career, I'm sure you're very pleased with how how much further up the value scale that uh, customer experience has become. Maybe not. It's not, you know, with every company, but um, have you noticed uh, a distinct increase in the number of brands who really value customer experience now and see it in the terms that you just put it in? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, in the course of just my interview process over the last year, um, most companies could really identify with that brand um, piece of thing, being the brand ambassador of the company. There are uh, there are still a few companies that really treated support and the reps themselves as sort of expendable, which I think is rather unfortunate. But I would say key components over that are just the fact that um, people are seeing more and more the value that customer support brings and also the feedback that we get from customers that no one else is going to hear or see that we can offer that will improve our brand, our products and our services. Well, finally, Ingrid, then looking into the future, where do you where do you see customer experience going? It's come so far. Um, what do you think? Is it going to continue in the same trajectory? What kind of trends do you think are very exciting right now? Maybe what technology do you think is exciting right now that people today should be familiarizing themselves to, to set themselves up for success tomorrow? You know, I think it's kind of a mixture. So there's a lot of really fantastic technology out there right now in terms of AI and natural language and things of that nature that are just like the classic bots that we have today, uh, which I think is really fascinating. At the same time, I still feel like there's this level of personalized service that's lacking in a lot of industries. And I think because technology is so prevalent and it's easy to install that that when when we decide when is that brand defining moment, like that's where I want that personalized level of service. And I think that's what will set companies apart. Um, it's a matter of being very fast and efficient on one hand, but it's also like getting to a human. So having dealt with a lot of, you know, support issues myself with other companies and never actually speaking to someone or feeling that I'm actually getting some robotic answer on the other side is like very frustrating for me when it's something that's very important to me. And so I think there's got to be that sort of mix between those, those areas of like high technology and fast, efficient service, but also that level of care that will, I do think will always set us apart. Well, Ingrid, thank you very much for telling us the, the media story over the last few months and your own story in terms of your career. It's been really interesting and I think a lot of interesting um, takeaways for people who are maybe a little earlier in their career are about to face into that uh, growth period that uh, hopefully their companies will and that Medio has experienced. So look, continued success um, with Medio and I, and I hope you uh, continue to scale out your team as successfully as you have so far. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you today. 
Well, that is it for this episode of TELUS International Studios. Thanks to my guest, Ingrid Olsen. Thanks to you for listening. And please do join us very soon for the next episode of TELUS International Studios, which is coming very soon. Take care.